take your Bibles and turn to the book of Micah. We're uh, actually finishing up our series on uh, God's constant pursuit. We, we technically have one more week, but we're going to start our Christmas series next week. Christmas series this year is just a little different. We're going to start Genesis 1. Well, that's not a Christmas series. Eh. We're going to talk about the gifts that we received at creation. Ending with, on Christmas Eve, our, our big service on Christmas Eve, ending with Genesis 3.15, where Scripture says, uh, where God says to the serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. The first prophecy of Jesus, the pr first prophecy of the Messiah. That's what we're going to end on. Because the next morning we celebrate the coming of the one that would crush the serpent's head. So it's going to work out, maybe. We'll see. We'll, we'll find out uh, Christmas Day uh, when it's all over. Did that work? Well, we'll, we'll look at it. Um, so this morning is our last uh, message from Micah, from the uh, uh, God's Constant Pursuit uh, series, the, the Hope of a Coming Savior. I don't know if they planned it this way, probably when they were writing this three years ago, but we are ending our walk through the minor prophets, through four of the minor prophets, with a prophecy of the coming Messiah. So we're going to look at that this morning uh, in just a few minutes. I want to crowdsource with you for just a second, though, um, and not, you don't have to answer it now, but come to me and, and, and let me know your, your thoughts on it. Uh, I told y'all a few weeks ago what we were going to do Christmas. We were going to have Christmas Eve, uh, a big service Christmas Eve, our, our normal length of service on Christmas Eve, and then we're going to have a short service, 30 minutes on Christmas morning. Well, I've gotten a little feedback, and some of the feedback has been, you know, if we didn't have one on Christmas morning, that would be fine. And some of the feedback has been, but if we do have one on Christmas morning, can we do it at 10.30 or 10 instead of 11? I'm trying to thread the needle here on what's, uh, what timing is best and if we want to have one on Sunday morning. We're going to be in town, so it's not a big deal for us to do it. Uh, it is going to be casual. You don't have to dress up for it. It, it, it is intentionally going to be a bit more laid back even than we normally are if, you know, this isn't laid back enough for you. This is probably how I'll be dressed. I'm, I'm not coming in uh, shorts and a t-shirt. But uh, so, but I, I want to hear, is, is that from you, is that something you want? It, it, or could we put all of our service on Christmas Eve? What are your plans? Are you going to be here? Does this, you know, those are the questions I have, and, and there's no wrong answer, and if you think I'm a fiery heretic that's going to burn forever if we don't have service on Sunday morning, I want to hear that. I might disagree with you, but I want to hear it anyway. Um, if you're just, you know, whatever, but if we do it, it would be better at this time because, you know, family in the morning or lunch in the afternoon, what time y'all getting somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. So let me know what you're thinking about that, uh, what your thoughts are, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Might not mean your thought is the one that pushes us one direction or the other because you don't know what everybody else is saying and, and we don't, I don't either for that matter. So I'm, I'm wanting to see. All right. So help me out with that. Uh, it, it really, my opinion, 
Doesn't matter one way or the other. Like I said, we're going to be here um, regardless. We'll be in town regardless till uh, noon or so anyway. So, all right. So take your Bibles, turn to Micah chapter 5, the hope of a coming Savior. This isn't the last week we will do our memory verse. We will do it again next week, but uh, we'll also start a new one next week. Now, I know it's going to be confusing. I'm preaching from Genesis for the first four uh, Sundays of this new quarter, but we're going to be reading in First John. But I'm sorry, in John, John one I, I, is what I was thinking. Um, Edda's got a great service plan for next week, where we're going to see the parallels between Genesis one and John one. Some of you are already thinking of it. I mean, both they start in the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, so it's it's really I, I didn't. I knew we were going to John, but when I planned Genesis, I wasn't thinking, oh, look how it goes with the John 1, like we're going to be, no, that, that just, that worked out. Uh, that wasn't in my plan, huh? All the Holy Spirit. So, um, so that'll start next week. But this week and next week, we are working on our uh, Micah verse, and there are words missing. So say with me, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Very good. By next week, most of those words are going to be gone. So just prepare for it. The, um, the memory verse cards for the next verse, they're not out yet. They'll be out next week. Um, but there are still memory verse cards out for this Sunday. All right, Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Our reading this week, our, our Connect Group lesson, was 4, 6 through 8, and 5, 1 through 9. We're just going to focus on 1 through 9 of chapter 5 because uh, 4, 6 through 8 is actually not word for word, but the uh, thought, the theme is repeated in Micah 5, 6 through 9. So we're getting the same, same uh, lesson, same teaching from that passage. So I went to just one through nine this week. This is prophecy, right? This is a prophet. Now, I've told you along that prophecy isn't always telling the future. It is sometimes speaking for God. Sometimes it tells the future, and, just, and sometimes it's just the right now. This is telling the future. This is foretelling, now, something about prophecy that you need to understand is that it had to make sense to the hearers. But it didn't have to be fulfilled for the hearer, or not in that hearer's lifetime, unless the prophecy said otherwise, right? For example, uh, if, if a prophet said, hey, in three days you're going to die, you best start making preparations. Get the casket carved and, and make sure you got the hole in the, in, the, in the side of the mountain to be put in because it's going to happen, provided he's a true prophet of the Lord. And if you don't die, you get to stone him. That was, that was the rule. If they prophesied something didn't happen, they got to be killed. Okay? Sometimes that was the prophecy, and it was for, right, it was for you or those people or, or whatever. Right then, there was going to be a time when it would obviously be fulfilled within those people's lifetimes. Sometimes there was a dual fulfillment of the prophecy. For example, uh, in Isaiah um, 7, 
when Isaiah tells, uh, Hezekiah asks for a sign that he is going to, uh, that Israel is going to win uh, this upcoming battle, or rather uh, Judah is going to win this upcoming battle, and that he'll be okay, uh, he asks for a sign, and Isaiah says, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Now, if that passage is only talking about Jesus, that wasn't any good for Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah, yes, you're going to win the battle. And the proof of that is in 730 years, there's going to be this baby born. Eh, that's not very helpful, Isaiah. Uh, so it's, there was a baby born. Some scholars think it was Isaiah's son that was the, the, the proof uh, of that. But it had a dual meaning. They understood, especially after the fact, that it was also a prophecy of the Messiah. This was a temporary fulfillment or a partial fulfillment in the life of Hezekiah. So you have this duel. And then other times you have a, a prophecy that while telling what will happen in the future, it is meant only to bring hope to the hearers in their dark time. Yes, it is going to be fulfilled, but you aren't going to see it, most likely. But he doesn't tell them that. He doesn't say, now this is going to happen long after y'all are gone. Because the hope found in it would be lost if, you mean that's not going to happen in my lifetime? Revelation is the same way for believers, uh, depending on how you interpret Revelation. Some people think we're living in Revelation right now. It's an, an acceptable way to interpret the book. But uh, generally, folks think that is a future of the church. That is our hope. We look to Revelation, and we are thankful that Jesus wins, and he will come back, and, and he will uh, make all things new and all things right. And we may see it in our lifetimes, and we may not. For 2,000 years, people have been expecting us to, and it hasn't happened yet. That's our hope. We may see it. We may not, but it still gives us hope. That's Micah's prophecy this morning. Chapter 5 is, people in a dark time, here is your hope. Here is what's going to happen. God is going to take care of these things. And whether it happens in their, time, their lifetimes or not, they still get to have hope. They trust it's faith. It's all faith, isn't it? I mean, just the uh, very hope of salvation, the hope of heaven, is faith on our part. I told you before, you didn't get a membership card. We didn't get a mark on us anywhere. Nothing happened. Our heart is sealed with the Holy Spirit, but that's not visible. There, there's nothing tangible. We have faith. We have faith in God's promises. We have faith in Jesus' work. We, he, he did the miracles so that we would believe in him. So we, we just trust. And that was Micah's hearers as well. They trusted. His prophecy here is both judgment and hope. The prophets, they're going to talk about their judgment, and there's a reason why they are going to talk about this hope because of the dark time they're in brought on by their disobedience, which must be judged in the future. And it's not a very far away future now. Uh, for these folks, 
Micah's probably prophesying around 700 BC at this point. So just in about 114, 115 years, Judah will be destroyed. Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, will be destroyed. But the hope, he says, is that from that destruction, the Messiah will rise. And that's where we are this morning in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. If you uh, have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to it. If uh, you need one, take one of those Bibles in the pew rack. It's yours. Put your name in it. Carry it everywhere you go. You can have it. We would love for that to be uh, part of your gift uh, for being here this morning. Micah says, Now daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, he will raise against it seven shepherds, eight, uh, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or linger for mankind. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among animals of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples and tears as it passes through, and there is no one to rescue them. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be destroyed. Our big idea today, what you need to go home with at the end of this message, is that our only hope through every situation in life is our Savior Jesus Christ. And it is a hope we must share. That's what this passage is telling us This morning. That is our application of this passage. Now, what is going on in this passage? Verse 1 we see that earthly hope fails. Right? We talked about it last week with with the uh, failure of leaderships, uh, failure of of leadership, the kings, the priests, the prophets. They, in the northern kingdom, weren't, and, and in the southern kingdom and to a great extent, weren't doing what they were supposed to. They were failing as leaders to lead the people in righteousness. Because every earthly hope will fail. If we put our faith in governments, if we put our faith in corporations, if we put our faith in an economic structure, if we put our faith in militaries, we are going to be failed by those things. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, Scripture says. Because we don't put our faith anywhere else. Because it will fail us. It's why you don't come to church to hear me preach me. If you hear me preach me, that's going to mess you up. Because I will fail. 
I don't preach me. I preach to me just like I preach to y'all. I preach Scripture. We come to Scripture to see what it says about God, what it says about us, and how we are supposed to change because of what it says about God and us. And what it says in verse 1, daughters, now daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Uh, many scholars think that refers to uh, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, who actually got his eyes poked out as part of his torture when uh, Babylon came in and set siege to uh, Jerusalem. He, he was uh, struck on his cheek, his eyes. Regardless, human leadership is going to fail. The message is, if your faith is in anything of this world, your faith is misplaced. And you're going to suffer because of it. Michael, you're repeating yourself. I know, and I'm going to say it again. If we trust in anything but God, we're going to be disappointed. So we must place our faith in the right place. Earthly hope fails. Verse 2, heavenly hope surprises. It rarely looks like we think it should. Heavenly hope, when Jesus shows up, when God does something, it almost never looks like we would have planned. Verse 2 tells us that. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Bethlehem was about five miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was not a big town, and the Ephrathah part is probably a clan of the folks who lived in, Beth in Bethlehem. So you've got the city of David, Bethlehem, all that family, but then the family even was, uh, you know, cousin groups, basically. And, and Ephrathah was just even this small little clan. And from that, from this little nothing, the leader is going to come. The ruler is going to come. The hope is going to come. When Jesus shows up, even some of his soon-to-be disciples, when they're told, hey, come see this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth? What? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Heavenly hope surprises. We've got the plans. The, Israel was hoping for a, a coming king. When Jesus rode in on the donkey the week before he was crucified, they thought, yes, finally the king is coming in. We are going to finally have Jewish rule in our country again. We're going to kick out the Romans. Yay! My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, things would be a lot different for y'all right now. That's what Jesus told them. I'd already have angels coming down and, and taking care. But that's not, that's not what I'm here for. Heavenly hope surprises the wisdom of man is the folly of God 
We make the plans, and God laughs. And then he turns around and takes something small and insignificant and does incredible things through it. It's not how we would do it. We'd have a, an economic king. We'd have a rich ruler. We'd have a powerful ruler. And God says, Bethlehem, from the small clan in this small town, that's where you need to look. So much so that when Herod is getting a little concerned in Matt, uh, the book of Matthew or Luke, I can't remember, I think Luke, uh, about uh, y'all talking about this Messiah going on, where he asks his, his teachers, his, his priests, that are, where's this Messiah co- supposed to come from? What do they quote? This verse. Bethlehem. They knew. They knew. Number three, heavenly hope prevails. Once the Messiah comes, once this ruler over Israel, whose origin is from antiquity, from ancient times, meaning both from the house of David, the kingly line of David, but probably also this son of God idea that he is eternal. When he comes, therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, we will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Israel with the sword, the land land of Nimrod with a drawn blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. There is a danger in studying and teaching and preaching prophecy. And the danger is we will want to take every word and one-to-one apply it to something going on. That's why we've gotten all the different people throughout the years that said Jesus is coming back on this date. And you know how many of them have been right so far? Yep, none of them. Because they have looked at Scripture and said, oh, this in Scripture matches this in real life. Ronald Wilson Reagan, he's got six letters in his first name, six letters in his uh, middle name, and six letters in his last name. See, he's going to be the Antichrist. Gorbachev, he's got a weird birthmark on his head. He's going to, well, he died. So did Reagan. But we've got all these things that we say, well, see, absolutely, this must be, and we, we do it with Revelation, we do it with Daniel, we do it with Ezekiel, we do it with these prophets, and don't. Because you're going to end up making, if, if we're just generous, mistakes, If we're less than generous, you end up making idols, and you end up becoming a false teacher. So what do we do? Well, we take the passage. What is it saying? It is saying that the ruler that is coming out of Bethlehem will win. 
Remember, Micah is using language that the people of uh, Jerusalem, uh, Judah, will understand. So what do I need to tell these people right now in this geographic location at this point in time that will make them understand the greatness of the coming ruler? Oh, I know he will be their peace when Assyria invades our land. When it marches against our fortresses, he will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. You want a picture of what this ruler is going to be? Even Assyria won't be able to defeat him. Because when the time comes, he's going to have everything he needs. He can call up seven men, even eight leaders. That just means all he needs. He can take care of the situation. Your biggest fear right now is Assyria. They are nothing, nothing compared to this ruler that is coming. Because our only hope through every situation in life, Micah would say, is this Messiah, this coming ruler. He is our hope. And that heavenly hope always prevails They will shepherd the land of Assyria, verse 6. The land of Nimrod with a sword and a blade. He will rescue us from Assyria. He will prevail against every evil. The most evil. Think back to Jonah and how, uh, how awful Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was. How, they, how God describes, it, uh, describes them to Jonah. Morally, they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know anything about what it is to live a holy life. They are as vile and evil as you can imagine. And the ruler who will come from Bethlehem it can even overcome that. Heavenly hope surprises heavenly hope prevails but verse 7 heavenly hope permeates verse 7 then the remnant of jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the lord like showers on the grass which do not wait for anyone or linger for mankind the remnant of jacob will be among many peoples now You've got to be careful, not one to one. So I am going to say this with fear and trepidation. But the remnant of Jacob, the house of Israel, those who are followers of this ruler who will come from Bethlehem, raise your hand if you're a follower of the ruler who came from Bethlehem. Okay? Yeah, Jesus. That'd be believers. That remnant is going to be among many peoples. Where is the church today? The church today is among many peoples in places that are as evil or more so than Assyria. Right now, this morning, except it was 12 hours ago or something like that over in Far East Asia. The church of Jesus Christ met in places that if they are caught, they will be killed. 
but they will not prevail. Death isn't evil prevailing. Death is a win. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, if I live, it's all about Jesus. If I die, I get to be with him. That's even better. As a matter of fact, I'd rather go to be with him. But, man, I can't leave y'all yet. I got too much work to do. Heavenly hope permeates. That's our job, to permeate, to drench our culture with Jesus, to drench our communities with Jesus. We, we don't put the, the value on due that these folks did. But during the, the, the heaviest summer months, July to September in, uh, in Judah, it didn't rain at all. But it would come heavy, heavy dews. The Mediterranean would, uh, would, the moisture from the Mediterranean would flow across the land, and at night it would cool and condense. And, and we think, I mean, we, we go out sometimes, and, and your car looks like it rained because the dew was so heavy. That was every day for them. They counted on that. That was part of what kept their crops going until the, the harvest. But, but what does dew do? It doesn't, it doesn't pour and, and thunder and, and, and make a big fuss. It permeates. It shows up quietly, really. Gets all over everything. Works its way into the root structure. Works its, it is absorbed by the leaves and the stems. It brings refreshing to the land by its, it appears, just, just its existence. Is that not an image of what we should be as the church? Permeating everything, touching everything, bringing life, not thunder and lightning. Jesus is going to do that someday. We're getting there. But the church, the dew, the, the people, um, the, 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 the remnant of Jacob among the peoples come like dew, like showers. Again, not thunder and lightning and storm and hurricanes, but showers. A, a rain shower, a heavy storm in a desert is dangerous. You've got the, the, the wadis, the, the, the dry creek beds and river beds that'll fill up and, and wash people away, uh, flash flooding. But a shower brings life. Things bloom for, uh, all of a sudden in the desert when you get a shower. Do you hear the responsibility of the church, the responsibility of God's people to permeate the nations among many peoples. Heavenly hope surprises, it prevails, it permeates, but heavenly hope judges. Verse 8. We're not stopping with that. Look at the order, and I think the order is important. It, it permeates first. The church should be in the culture. Why? Because we know the judgment is coming. We know what's next. We know that regardless of your view of how Jesus comes back, he is going to come back. And when he comes back, all bets are off. 
No more opportunity. Of course, you have no more opportunity after death anyway. No more opportunity to choose to follow him or not. But when he comes back, it's done. It's over with. And he will judge the living and the dead. And we know he's coming to do that. So we permeate with the message of coming judgment. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples. Well, we've already been told that. But this time, not like dew and like showers that bring life, but like a lion among animals of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples and tears as it passes through, and there was no one to rescue them. Some of the imagery in Revelation gives us the idea that there will be... uh, uh, a, judge, a, a, a group of Christians. Uh, the, you've got the disciples that will be the twelve. And if we, if we take it literally, you don't have to. Some do, some don't. It's all right. Uh, but if you take it literally, they will rule. And he will come back. Jesus will come back as a warrior on a horse with the heavenly host behind him. And is that us or is that angels or who knows? Doesn't matter. The picture is, the point is, he comes back to rule and to judge. And there will be nothing that escapes his judgment. It will be like a lion, lion among animals, which tramples and tears. And there will be no rescue. Um, Penn and Teller are a a magician duo. Um, And I can't think of their first names now. Penn is the, Penn Gillette is the first, is the, that guy's name. Uh, The one had had the ponytail for a long time, now he doesn't. They are, he is an atheist and he loves being an atheist. He, he loves, uh, in his mind, uh, discounting Christianity. But he said something a few years back, I mean, on, a, on a recording, in an interview. Um, after a show, somebody came up and shared the gospel with him, with him. And he said, you know, I've heard it all before. I don't believe it. Uh, and here are all the reasons why I think you're not just wrong, but maybe, maybe even a little, little cuckoo. I don't know if he's rude about it or not. Uh, he's, he could be. But he went on to say, though, he, does, he did appreciate that guy coming up and telling him. Because he said, if you have the answer to eternal life, if you have the cure to, the, to a sin problem, the sin problem, How much do you have to hate me not to tell me? Y'all, we know what's coming. We know the judgment is coming. How much do we have to hate people not to tell them that your time will be up? Your time could be up today because Jesus could come back today or you could die today. Regardless of the reason, we are not guaranteed tomorrow or this evening. Earthly hope fails. Heavenly hope doesn't. Surprises, prevails, permeates, judges. But verse 9, heavenly hope saves.
if, if there is salvation, there's just about got to be the other side of that coin, judgment. Or let me say it the other way, if there is judgment, what's the point in telling us about the judgment if there isn't salvation from that judgment? Well, even Micah gets to that part in verse 9. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be destroyed. Heavenly hope saves. And that's, that's really the theme of the entire passage, right? That, that this heavenly hope that is coming from Bethlehem will save them from all of these things. And, and we see the, the, the country of Assyria, we see this, this external, uh, uh, these external forces that the Bible tells us that this ruler from Bethlehem will save us from. But again, remember, these folks never saw it. They died long before that happened. Assyria wasted away, but it was Babylon that took care of Judah and Jerusalem. They never saw the answer to this. So for them, it was mere hope. I wish I could remember the line from the new Lord of the Rings series where they said uh, something about hope is never mere, right? And in, in Christianity, it's not. Because what is hope? Come on, y'all, don't fail me. Confident expectation. Hope is not a wish. Hope is knowing. Our hope is in our salvation through Jesus Christ. We confidently expect that our hand will be lifted up against our adversaries and all of our enemies will be destroyed. Who is your biggest enemy right now today? Who is yours? If you're thinking anything but sin, you're wrong. Oh, you may have them. We may have them as a country. We, we may have them as NATO. We, we, you know, all these geopolitical things going on. Or, or you've got that family member that you're, or whatever. You know. But no, your biggest enemy, your biggest adversary is the devil. It's sin. And if, if you think that when you come to Jesus, suddenly Assyria won't happen anymore, bad things won't happen to you anymore, I've got a really disappointing surprise for you. Bad things will still happen. If, if I asked you to raise your hand, everybody who had something bad happen to you since you've been a believer, pretty sure we'd all raise our hands. See... Jesus isn't a get-out-of-bad-things-free card. Jesus is an overcome-our-number-one-adversary card. Sin. Micah lets, Micah lets them know, your enemy will be destroyed because this ruler who is coming won't just win a few battles, won't just uh, bring in a little economic prosperity. This ruler is going to take care of all of them. Let's remember why Israel, Judah, is in this place to begin with. Sin. 
They are being destroyed because of their sin. Y'all, we die a physical death because of our sin. Every bad thing that happens to you is because of your sin or somebody else's sin. Our adversary, the one who roams like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, the devil. Just not a personification of sin. Well, he is a personification of sin, but I don't want to say he doesn't exist. Don't hear me saying that. The sin that, well, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, that he brought, he encouraged into the garden. Jesus saves us from. An earthly hope can't do that. An earthly hope that's going to fail you anyway, right? An earthly hope may be able to get your bank account a little better. An earthly hope might be able to hold a foreign power at bay for a little while. An earthly hope may be able to give you some medicine that's going to take care of that disease for a time. But something's going to get you. And all that money you saved, you're not going to take with you. All the stuff you accumulated is not going to impress God one little bit. But the one who saves is the one who will change your heart and your life so that as we sit and literally watch family of this church die with no medical hope, but all of the hope in Jesus, it's because That ruler came from Bethlehem and because heavenly hope saves. So what do you do with this hope? Micah doesn't make the leap. He's not given the the prophetic word to, to look as clearly into the future and see Jesus, but yet that is who he is talking about. So if we fast forward, we've got the benefit of being on this side of it by a good 2,000 years. We look back and we see that hope in Christ. We hear the lesson, the the encouragement, the the call of Romans 6.23 that tells us that the wages of sin is death. Our adversary is death. The wages of sin is death, but God provided a gift from Bethlehem Ephrathah. A gift of life. Surprise. In a manger. That don't make no sense. Shepherds knew. They got it. They, They got told straight from the angels. The wise men knew. They read the Old Testament, saw the star, came and worshipped. You know, because you're sitting here today and you've heard, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That heavenly hope is what saves us.
A little earlier, I talked about faith. See, that's what's required. It's required on your part to say, I place my faith in Jesus. I think that was the word of a song we sang a little bit ago. The, how does it go? I place my faith in Jesus. My anchor to the ground. My hope and sure salvation. Firm foundation. He never lets me down. We planned that, can't you tell? That's our hope. Will you turn to the hope? Will you say with Micah, will you, uh, rather, will you lift your hand up against sin and see the power of sin, the sting of death destroyed? You can do that today. All you need to do is follow in faith. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe in Him for salvation, and you will be saved, and you will have eternal hope. But believer, it's not yours to hoard. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. Our only hope through every situation of life is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is a hope we must share. So today is your time to respond. Now is your opportunity. If you are uh, not a believer in Jesus, you can be a believer today. You can accept salvation through Jesus Christ. If you don't know exactly how to go about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. In a few minutes, I'll be up here on my right. Uh, Chelsea will be down here on the left if you'd like to talk to her. Uh, one of our deacons will be in the back, uh, on, on the back wall, if you'd like to talk to him. We'd love to pray with you, explain that to you. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and be baptized. You've accepted Christ. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ. Believer, maybe you need to permeate society a little bit more. You're, you're kind of a cistern. You know, you're, you're a well. All the water's in there. But you're not doing, you're not showering your community. We have got to permeate the community. It is our calling. How much do you have to hate lost people not to tell them about Jesus? So this morning, I pray that you will respond. Maybe you want to join our church, be a part of what's going on here. You can share your decision on a card that's in front of you. You can message us online if you're watching online. Text us uh, however you want to get a hold of us. Let us know what God is doing in your life. But at this time, we're going to sing. We're going to worship. For about five minutes, we're going to let God work on our hearts. I pray you would respond. The, the stage is open. If you'd like to come up here and pray, you can. Again, pray with one of us if you'd like, or just alone. But change, shift, do something different this morning in response to what the Lord is leading you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the constant hope, the heavenly hope that that doesn't look like what we would have done, is, is not expected, 
but from a little clan in a little town in the form of a little baby, you bring salvation. You save. You defeat our adversary sin. God, may we respond in faith to Jesus Christ this morning. If we've never accepted Christ, may we accept that salvation, turn to him, give him our lives, follow him and trust him for our eternity, for true hope. And Lord, if we are a believer, may we commit today to permeate our society like a heavy dew on dry ground. Lord, we pray for strength, commitment, and wisdom to be the change that you have called us to be in our communities. Lord, and at this time, as we come to you and worship in response, we pray that you would do something in each and every heart, that no one would leave here the same. Every one of us would leave changed because of the words that Micah spoke 2,700 years ago and that are just as alive today about the hope that we can have and must share. Lord, we ask that you would move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand and sing and let God work on your hearts this morning.